Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Come on, come on, come on, come on.
This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, welcome to the George Water Jr. Show. Such a beautiful day in the city of Chicago. Thank you. It is such a <laughs> wow. It is such a beautiful day in the city of Chicago. We had to go out today, folks, and we had a great time. And it's the end of February. Uh, I mean, it may be a later date than this once you podcast the show and it's downloaded. And but but still, it, on this particular day, it is a super day in the city of Chicago. It's one of the reasons why I'm proud to live here. I'm proud to be staying here. I'm proud to call it my home. It's a beautiful city. It's a, it's a, I, I, you hear all kinds of negativity on the news and, and, you know, and there's a lot of people moving out of the city. There's no doubt about it. They've left, you know, for various reasons. And I don't blame them. I don't blame anybody for wanting to pack up and move. There's lots of reasons to move. But if you, you know, if you, you know, huddle down, settle in, it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful town. How many How many of you out there have seen uh, the Loop, the downtown Chicago area Loop? It's beautiful. How many of you seen the Chicago skyline? It is just gorgeous. You know, uh, and there are some parts of the south side that are totally, totally uh, gorgeous. And I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm saying some because there's some parts that are not, but However, then you have the north side of the city of Chicago, and it's a beautiful place, especially near the lake where I am. And there is beautiful places all around the city of Chicago, the west side. You go in some areas of the west side, it's it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, you got great people, uh, people who have uh, high school diplomas, people who have associate's degree, people who have uh, university degrees. I mean... You, smart people, intelligent people, bright people. You've got those kinds of people in the city of Chicago. It's a great city. It's a, it's a great place to live if you can afford it. <laughs> it's totally expensive. Uh, yeah, it is. I should know, right? We should know. Um, uh, but anyway, you get past all of that, and uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful city. It's a great city, and I and. And the only reason why I think people are moving is because of the crime and uh, the politics, um, the taxes. I think those are the main three reasons that are driving people out of the city of Chicago and out of Illinois. And I, I don't think this is the only state with a, a influx of people moving. I mean, you have uh, people are leaving Detroit, Montana. I mean, uh Missouri. I mean, you you name it. People are, are wherever there's lots of crime, lots of taxes, lots of unfairness, screwed up government. People are leaving, and I don't blame them. I really have no um, qualms about people packing up and leaving. But you know what? And specifically thinking about Chicago, uh, when people pack up and leave Chicago, they're packing up and leaving because they can afford to do so. I mean, if you can. Uh, if you can afford to leave this, the city of Chicago and you have many reasons for wanting to leave, then you're going to leave. You know, we're talking about the South. Some, some We're talking about the high crime areas on the South side and the West side 
of Chicago. That is where the uh, influx of people, African-Americans, are upending. I mean, you can't blame them. You, they don't want to see their kids shot down in cold blood. They don't want to be able to uh, – they don't want to be um, stuck in the house because uh, a massive shooting going on outside their door every night, you know. Um if people can afford to move and move out of those high crime neighborhoods, those high crime areas, I applaud them. Get the hell out. You know, and a lot of people are getting out, out of those high crime areas on, on the south and west sides of the cities. But, uh, uh, but you will not hear the governor say that. You will not hear the governor say, hey, well, Chicago has lost a lot of its population. You will not hear the mayor say that Chicago has lost a lot of its population because they don't want that coming out of their mouths, because they may take the blame for some of that. But anyway, my point is when people are, when people are uh, leaving any city, any municipality because of high, tax, high taxes, crime, uh, rogue politicians, um, it's bad, it's sad because if you're moving away from the south side and west sides, the majority of the people left there are poor people. The majority of the people who can't afford to leave Chicago, who can't afford to move, can't afford to go anywhere, they're stuck over there in that crime in those crime filled areas. And they stuck with the bad guys. You know. So and more likely uh, when people move away from those high crime areas, those places are going to stay vacant. Nobody's going to move into those areas until they know it's clear, clear of gang banging, <laughs> clear of the trigger pullers, as uh, McCartney calls them. He will never get my vote. Um, you want to make sure it's clear. But my basic point is that when people move on, out of a crime-written neighborhood that's been crime-written for years, if not, you know, decades and decades of um, crime, nobody's going to move in that, nobody's going to take that space up. Nobody's going to uh, fill that void over there because there, there is a lot of void in the, on the south side of Chicago. There's a lot of void on the um, west sides of Chicago, especially in some of these crime high crime areas. So those areas where people have up and left, the gangbangers are taking over, the thugs are taking over, the drugs, the prostitution is taking over in those areas. And that's going to make it difficult for some of the police officers and the mayor to try to clean it up over there so they can renew that area and have upstanding, you know, uh, people moving into that area, but they can't do that until they get the drugs, the thugs, the guns, and the overall crime up out of those areas, you know, because that's bad. I mean, that's prime real estate. That is prime area over there that the drug dealers and the gangbangers are um, ruling, kind of, you know. Uh, I'm on the south, I'm, uh, excuse me, I'm on the north side of Chicago, and I see I can see some people from the south and west sides coming over here, but they can't, you know, I mean, they walk through here. They may drive through here. They may, you know, um, uh, stay a while, but they can never, ever live over here where I am because it's too expensive for one thing. 
and there is a high police presence for another. And I just don't, I don't think too many people uh, uh, like living or door living by the lake. I mean, some of these people rather be out on street corners. So, you know, <laughs> those are the reasons why I think a lot of them uh, uh, do not move to the north side of the city because it's too expensive for them. And uh, the, there's a heavy police presence. And there is the big Lake Mich Michigan on my left here. Or is it my right? I believe it's my right. It's on my right. And uh, like I said before, I, I think people who are used to standing out on the standing out on street corners in some of, in some areas of the city will not enjoy just going sitting by the lakefront and just letting the you know letting the watching the tide move in and move out and watching it rain. I don't think they they're like that. You know they they rather be on the uh, corners in case something happens. They, they don't want to miss whatever might happen. But anyway, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, it says here on my um, marquee that author James Carroll will be on the show today. I had a great guest yesterday. I had a great guest before. Uh, yet, um, um, all week, you know, I, I've had great guests on the show all week. A great guest yesterday, a great guest uh, the day before. Um, it was just phenomenal. I mean, I enjoyed them. I've learned a lot. I mean, I'm, I learned a lot. A lot of times when the guests come on the show, come on my show, I learn too. I mean, because I'm just like you guys. I'm. I want to know. I want to absorb. I. <laughs> I want to get. I want to make my life a lot better. And I've said this several times. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, uh, if you want to start your life over at. 50, started over at 50, you want to start your life over at 60, started over at 60 or 70, um, or you can just take where you're at in your life and just go forward, you know, and, and it doesn't matter your age. You should never let age, anyone should, you should never let age stop you. Well, I'm too old for this. Well, I'm too old for that. No, you're not. If you're too old for something, you, I mean, you're just talking yourself out of, out of being uh, successful at something. Well, I'm too old for this. My back hurt. My knees are killing me. You, <laughs> that doesn't have to happen, okay? Um, uh, if you're going to start your life over, start it over now. You know, no matter what age you are, if you feel that you can do it, do it. Do it, do it. Uh, this show is always trying to uh, uh, talk about positive, positive things for people of all ages, all ages, you know. I mean, and for teenagers out there, guys and girls, it doesn't, there was a report on television the other day that saying that so many teen, teenagers out here uh, in America and around the world are so depressed, they're lonely, they have no, uh, they have no goals or dreams, they, they're not interested in good friends, they're not uh, they don't have really have any activities that they want to do. Some of them are coming out of high school. They don't know what the hell they're going to do with their lives. They still don't. Um, and a lot of uh, teenagers and young people, they, I think that a lot of teenagers and young people actually need someone to look up to. I think uh, 
they need someone to look up to. Uh, because I know when I was a teenager and younger, I needed someone to look up to. And I think that a lot of teenagers do need people to look up to. I was shocked one day when I asked my son, when I asked my son, I, I was just curious. I was just asking him a, him a question because I was just curious. I didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth. I asked him um, one day, I said, who is your favorite person in the world? And because I was just curious, uh, you know, and it was just something that just came out of my, my mouth. And he looked at me and he said, you dad. I was shocked. <laughs> I was floored because I didn't think the guy listened to anything I ever told him. <laughs> or ever said or ever tried, you know, but I was totally shocked when he said that. And believe me, I really was because I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting, I was expecting him to say that he did not have anyone that he looked up to. And, um, uh, and I, I was floored and, and I, I'll go back to saying this. I think a lot of teenagers, young people, need someone to look up to. I think they need someone who will be there to understand them, um, to know what they're going through, even though they may not even talk about it. Um, uh, because depression is a disease. Depression is, 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 can ruin your health. I mean, but there are so many young people out here who don't have friends, who do not have good friends. They're alone by themselves. They're lonely. They're depressed. They, and a lot of these young people take their own lives. And, and some of it could be the fault of parents not giving the kids the attention that they want. You know, you, you have to take time with your child. I mean, if he's, if he's 16, 20, or 24, you have to take time with your child. Or you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. And I think a lot of parents should actually sit down and talk to their child seriously to let them know that they are there for their kid. And I think I wrote about this. And I think one of the other other things that can really get a child to um, to wanting to to wanting to engage with their parents is love. L-O-V-E. If a, if a parent shows that child love, that child would, I mean, that child will do everything they can in the world to impress that parent. If, if a parent, if a child, teenager, whatever, sees that his, that his parents is showing him genuine love, that child will try to do everything that they can't impress their parents because they know that their parents love them, genuinely love them. And I believe that. And, and I've seen it happen. You know, I can't speak for every family, but, but uh, showing your child, your kid love is one of the greatest things that could ever happen to a child or a teenager or some, or a young adult. Show them love. Show them that you care. Tell them that you love them. You know, a child, they love to hear that. Every time I tell my son I, or <laughs> I love him, he starts uh, trying to impress me. I say, you know, and, and I always say, you guys, you don't have to do that. You don't have to impress me. 
just keep getting A's and B's, and that's impressing me enough. <laughs> and then get out and get a job. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I, I do think there's a lot of uh, teenagers out here who are totally stressed out also. And it's sad when you know that your child is going to school and being bullied, taunted, ostracized. That that's really really sad, and that, I mean that, that should hurt any parent. But it's a part of growing up. It's a part of what they're going to experience when they go to grammar school or high school and maybe even sometimes college. And um, uh, uh, it happens. It happens. But still and all, I think that the more a parent shows his or her child love that child will 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 blossom i i you know i believe it because i saw it myself i experienced it it the the child will blossom show that child that you believe them believe in them try to help that child in every way that you can find find something that this child of yours teenager could be interested in besides running in and outside and out the door and being nothing try to come up with some sort of a craft or creativity for your child that will keep children from being bored disinterested uh depressed if they have something that they can do something that they love doing or want to do instead of just mulling around the house every day watching tv jumping on the computer you know i mean kids after a while is going to get bored they're going to get depressed they're going to get lonely they're going to get say, hey, wow, this is not it. I mean, even video games sometimes. Sometimes kids can play so much video games that even playing video games, even the violent ones, uh, can start to become boring to them. You know, start to become boring. Going outside can be become boring or hanging around certain people at school can become boring. I And I, I told my son, I said... Um, I asked him, was he lonely? Because he very seldom, you know, as I can see, have friends around him. You know, he may have lots of friends at school, but once he gets home, there's like no friends at all. And uh, I, would, I asked him, I said, are you lonely? He said, no, of course, he wouldn't tell me that he's lonely. You know, uh, sometimes I can see it that he's lonely. I said, if you're lonely, you know, find your companionship, a girlfriend, preferably. <laughs> You know, he said, well, I have one. I said, yeah, well, I haven't seen her. Where is she? <laughs> um, but um, seriously, um, teenagers are, young people are some of the greatest uh, 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 people in the world, the greatest group of people in the world, because they're coming up behind us. They're going to be the ones who take over the world, take over America after we're dead and gone are very old and still here, whichever comes first, but uh, young people are constantly coming up behind us. And we want to make sure that we give them the tools to take over after we're gone. You know, and uh, so we have to, and one of, and one of those things we want to do is make sure we tell them that we love them and that we believe that they can be anything they want, want to be in the world even the president of the United States after we get this clown out, you know, because um, 
they can. They can be anything they want to be in the world. We must tell them that. You know, uh, the right things, not the wrong things. But they can be anything they want to be. And you know, doctor, lawyer, senator, representative, um, nurse, doctor. I said doctor, didn't I? Okay. Anything they anything they want to be, they can be in the world. We we have to let them know that, and we have to let them know we care, and we have to let them know that we want to help them and that we support them. The young people are coming up, and more than likely, a lot of them are going to be a lot smarter than we are. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Okay, it says here, the guest is James Carroll, and we're going to have plenty of commentary. That's just like we did yesterday and the day before on the George Wilder Jr. Show. And uh, we're going to do this, and we will be right back, folks. Hang in there. Hang in there. Donald Trump broke, we may need a Werther movement to find out the truth. I'm Drew Levine from statesmith.com. 
Donald Trump loves to brag about how rich he is. I'm very rich. I'm really rich. I'm the most successful person ever to run. Fortunately, I'm very rich. So I have a total net worth, and now with the increase, it'll be well over $10 billion. In fact, his entire claim to legitimacy as a presidential candidate depended on the story that he was a wealthy and successful businessman, a billionaire. But the evidence may actually be telling a different story. According to Robert Hockett, a distinguished professor of law and public affairs at Cornell University, there's reason to believe that not only might Trump not actually be a billionaire, but he may be completely underwater financially. Foremost, of course, it is well known that at least six of Trump's businesses have filed for bankruptcy over the years, with one of them, Trump Entertainment Resorts, filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as recently as 2009. We also know that since his inauguration, aggrieved Trump hotel contractors have placed liens on his properties for unpaid bills, which begs the obvious question, why would a billionaire have so much trouble paying his bills? We know that Trump has used the power and platform of his presidency to further his own business interests and the interests of his family, using the Twitter bully pulpit to shame Nordstrom for dropping Ivanka's line of clothing and prompting his counselor, Kellyanne Conway, to shill Ivanka's business on Fox News. Then, of course, there is the enormous, giant, orange elephant in the room, Trump's failure to release his personal tax returns. So how does he stay afloat? Well, if the allegations in the Steele dossier are to be taken seriously, it's possible that he depends on various Russian oligarchs to keep open a revolving line of credit to assuage his gaudy lifestyle. So is Trump a billionaire? Is he the successful and wealthy businessman that he claims to be? The truth is, we don't actually know. And we won't know until he releases his tax returns. So if you remember well, the racist birther movement and his demand that Obama release his long-form birth certificate, you don't I think know. that we're long overdue for a worther movement. Release those tax returns, Mr. Trump. Yeah, that'll be today, right? That will be the day. I know Mueller, Bob Mueller, the special counsel, I know he has his hands on Trump's tax returns. I know he has. And we just, I mean, we're just waiting for, waiting for some more bombshell stuff to come out of the White House. It's always, it it's always does. I mean, people, uh, you, <laughs> if you don't have anything to talk about, Trump will give you something to talk about. And, and a majority of the time, when he, Trump is throwing out that stupidity and we're focusing on that stupidity of Trump, Congress is busy cutting Social Security. Congress is busy cutting Medicare and Medicaid and making it a lot worse uh, for seniors and older people and, dis and the disabled because they don't give a damn, they don't care. Uh, a lot of this stuff that comes out of out of the Trump um, White House, totally, totally, totally distraction. And that's what it will always be, folks. All right, you've been listening to the to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. All right, let's go to you're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. Hello, this is uh, Jim Carroll and my wife Shirley. Hi. Hi, Jim Carroll, and hi, his wife, Shirley. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Thanks for having us on. Hey, no problem. No problem. Okay, give my audience a little bit of your bio and tell us 
uh, uh, what you do? Well, I, I'm a physician. Uh, I'm uh, getting up in years, and Shirley is my wife. We have uh, among us eight kids, and uh, wow. I'm a, I happen to be a pediatric neurologist. But uh, uh, we wrote our book as a memoir because during the uh, Kuwait, the Iraq invasion of Kuwait in 1990, uh, we were missionaries, and I was trapped in the country by the Iraqi invasion. Wow. And your book is uh, Faith in Crisis? Faith in Crisis, How God Shows Up When You Need Him Most. Okay. All right. Um, so tell us a little bit about it. Well, it, it tells the story of uh, what happened there. We, we were missionaries uh, uh, with a, a mission group, a Christian missionaries uh, to Kuwait. The only way you can get into Kuwait uh, uh, as a missionary is to have another job, and I was uh, teaching at the medical school there. And during the uh, uh, that summer of 1990, my wife was home with, for surgery with one of our kids, but I was... Uh, I had the hospital duty in Kuwait, and uh, uh, at that time when the Iraqis invaded, I was uh, a bit surprised and uh, was trapped to find that I might be a hostage. Wow, that's dramatic. So you wrote a book about it. We did. It's been a long time. It's uh -huh. been uh, uh, 20, 27, uh, 28 years now, but we finally got around to writing it as a uh, yeah. as a legacy for our family. We... Uh, we yeah. wanted our, our kids and descendants to remember what happened to us. Yeah, it's like it's a memoir. It's a memoir, right. And, uh, you know, we have uh, we have eight kids now. We had seven at the time. We have 15 grandchildren. So presumably at some point in the future, there'll be uh, um, a lot of our descendants around. Yeah, that that's great. <laughs> And with this book, you leaving it, you leaving them uh, a legacy of yourself. You know, they'll always know that you've been there. And if it wasn't for you, uh, uh, they wouldn't be where they are. <laughs> so well, that's to speak. true. I mean, the legacy though is what Jesus did for us. Uh, uh, uh -huh. As I said, we went there as Christian missionaries, and uh, uh, we just wanted the kids to know that the kids uh, that uh, the Lord pulled us out of this and got us through it. All right, Mrs. Carroll, how are you? How do you feel about the memoir? Uh, what were your contributions? Well, at the time, um, I was home with. Uh, I had just returned to the United States with, uh, uh -huh. with seven of our children, and uh, we were going to have surgery for one of them. And when this occurred, I realized that we had no money, uh, no income whatsoever. I, uh, not only did Jimmy's check come from the Kuwait hospital there. But I couldn't get any of our sources. I couldn't sell our house. I couldn't sell any stocks or anything like that. But I felt the Lord's presence. He, uh, we, I, we had our house rented, and the people who rented it broke the agreement. And all the way through the period of time that we were in our house and with no money and, and no source of income, um, we felt the presence of the Lord. So it's really a book about God and uh, yeah. how he provided for us this time and, mm -hmm. and his mm -hmm. care. Wow, that's great. It sounds like a wonderful story, and I will encourage all of my listeners to go out and get this book. Give us the title one more time. 
the title is Faith in Crisis, How God Shows Up okay. When You Need Him Most. And if, yeah. if they go on Amazon, they should just put in Jim and Shirley Carroll, and they'll find it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, during your time writing this book, uh, uh, how how did the rest of your family feel about it? How did they take it? How did how did they react to it? Well, you know, they when they lived in Kuwait, uh, they really enjoyed it there. When we when we okay. talk about Kuwait, even though I was a hostage there. Uh, at the end of it, uh, they all have good memories of it. And, uh, uh, of course, they were just little kids there. Our, our oldest now is a lot, well, as you could figure out by the math, a lot older. But they just sort of look on it as a normal happening in our lives. Yeah, how did the hostage situation uh, end? Okay. I'm sorry. No, I, I was asking, how did the hostage situation end for you? Well, it ended in a, in a, obviously, I'm out of here. Uh, right, you're out of I, there, but I had, to go to, I had to go to the, I had to go to the uh, American embassy to take refuge there. And for a while, I thought we were going to get taken by the, uh, by the Iraqis, that they were going to come in and get us. But, so I was afraid I was going to be taken to up to northern Iraq. But things began to happen. And uh, uh, one of the guys dug a well in the middle of the desert there and uh, we got fresh water and uh, we grew a garden and uh, we celebrated thanksgiving with uh, in the embassy uh, in the embassy dining room with linen tablecloths and uh, uh, silverware and uh, the best uh, uh, china that was available we had we had tuna lasagna uh, we had fresh wow. vegetables some of the guys made uh, wine from the date palms on the embassy compound so, and then all of a sudden we got a call that that Saddam Saddam Hussein was going to let us go. Uh, it took about wow. uh, five months. Uh, this was uh, this was happened to be the longest siege of an American embassy in in U.S. history. Um, I think it made so I we think were, it made the news. It did. Oh yeah, it was on the news, and uh, yeah. of course Shirley was back here in the U.S. and uh, she would. What time would you get up in the morning, Shirley? Oh, I don't know, but uh, we would get up and listen to CNN, and we're just thankful and, and that things were going to progress, and we knew that it was all in the Lord's hands. And yeah. uh, then we went to Washington, D.C., where Jimmy uh, landed, and uh, we're from Augusta, Georgia, and the kids and I were reunited with Jimmy, which was a great occasion. And all of this is documented in, in, in your uh, memoir. It is. It's. Uh, I think. I think it's pretty easy reading. It'll take you yeah, three or four yeah. hours to get through it. So, uh, I think your readers might enjoy it. Uh, is this your first book? It's my first one. Uh, I've got a novel coming out in the spring. It's a, it's titled Kuwaiti Seeker, uh, that mm -hmm. tells the story of a of a Muslim who came to know Jesus. Yeah. What do you think about what's happening in Syria? Just a general question. I mean, the bombing well, and, the, it, you know. Yeah, it's an, it's an awful thing. Uh, um, yeah, it is. It is. It, it's, it's too bad that the U.S. didn't take a bigger role in it. But I think we pretty much. You know what? I was stuff. wondering why. I was wondering why that, too. Why didn't the U.S. take a bigger role in this? Because, you well, know, I, I think obvious. We didn't want to have any. I think that we were sick of war and we didn't want to have any more involvement in it. I, 
I mean, I understand uh, uh, President Obama's thinking about this, but he just didn't want to get involved in it and, and have our people killed. I, I'm sympathetic to that, but yeah, because uh, because I, I, I right, I do think that during Obama's time we were in two wars: Afghanistan and was it yeah. um yeah, so it was two of them. So so I'm I'm sympathetic and, but, to that, but. But we've pretty much seceded the uh, the country to the Russians now. <laughs> you telling me? <laughs> All right, James Carroll on the George Wilder Jr. show, and he's talking about his book. That uh, are, are you are you say you are working on a second book? Uh, uh, it's it's following the vein of some of the uh, things that are in your first book. Some of the same kind of thinking. The second book is a yeah. novel. It's titled uh, titled Kuwaiti Seeker, and uh, it's it's not out yet, but it's available on Amazon for uh, uh, for pre order if if somebody decides they want to spend that time. Okay, uh, your wife she does she write with you or or you write separately or you write together? We 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 wrote this memoir together. You know, it was interesting mm-hmm. because. Uh, we were separated because of the circumstances at the time, but I kept a journal, a daily journal, which I use for my source. And uh, uh, she sort of keeps the journal herself. And how did you remember all that stuff, Shirley? Oh, well, we had a lot of <laughs> newspaper articles and everything else. Yeah. It's hard to forget this time. So uh, yeah. we put it together. <laughs> you did a lot of research. We did. and uh, But, you know, the... The fact that we had kept good records, the newspaper had kept the records, and I kept a personal yeah. journal. So even yeah. though a lot of time elapsed in there, the memories uh, on paper were pretty fresh. Yeah. All right, author James uh, James and Shirley Carroll on the George Wilder Jr. Show, I want to thank you guys for doing the show. I want to send you a uh, clip of the show so uh, okay. uh, you can put the clip – you can put the clip of this show that you on on your website so people can come by and listen to your story on the George Wilder Jr. Show on your website. Would you like that? Well, thanks very much, George. That website is all all faith soil. Uh, it's uh, right. uh, all one word, all faith soil, because the three the three great faiths originated in that area. Yeah. All right. Take take care, guys. Bye, Shirley. <laughs> thanks for doing the show. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank Thanks very much. No problem. No problem. All right, James and Shirley Carroll on the George Wilder Jr. Show talking about their uh, memoir. All right, uh, we will be right back if we can find this. All right, um, the George Wilder Jr. Show helped making the world a better place, one show at a time. And here goes freedom. Hi, everybody. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air.
And sleep where you wanna sleep And say what you wanna say And let the children play where they wanna play And work when you wanna work At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night 
of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time. 
to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only.
We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor 
having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom reign. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom reign. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom reign. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, let freedom reign. From the crevaceous slopes of California, but not only that, let freedom reign. From Stone Mountain of Georgia, let freedom reign. From Lookout Mountain of Tennessee, let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, that was courtesy of Black History Month, and uh, <laughs> uh, this is one. This is tomorrow. From the day that it's short, tomorrow is the uh, last day of February, last day of Black History Month. So I uh, did that. King, I had I have a dream speech uh, for for the occasion. You know, Black History. I, actually, I don't think Black History Month gets gets the same notoriety that it used to get. I think it's a little bit people don't recognize it as much as being Black History. I've I've heard some advocates call for White History Month. We'll see where that goes. 
But anyway, that was Martin Luther King, and uh, I'll do him one more time for Black History Month uh, the following uh, tomorrow, you know, at least the, the from the date of the show, tomorrow from the date of the show, uh, which is live right now, but it, it won't be for so long. Anyway, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is 7.05 straight up Chicago time, p.m., and it's beautiful. It's still nice outside, folks. It feels like summer almost in late february and uh we did take advantage of it today i mean why (laughs) take advantage of it today because tomorrow it might be 20 below zero but it was very 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 nice today and i hope wherever you are in the world that it's nice in your neck of the woods too that you um keeping yourself safe keeping yourself warm keeping yourself happy keeping yourself positive through all of this mess that's going on in the world especially in america and it keeps reminding me of something Trump said. I mean, <laughs> he pulled stuff out of his butt and said it. This is another thing that he pulled out of his butt to say. And the whole world heard him say it. It, it came straight up out of his mouth. Uh, Trump, uh, and you've heard it, and I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. It's all over the social media. It's been over the social me- all over social media for about two or three days now because even social media can't believe this idiot fool said something like that. Trump looked in the camera, looked in the television camera, talking to the world, and said he would have gone into that school, Parkland shooting, Parkland, uh, Florida. Parkland, Florida high school where there was an active shooter, he said that he would have ran in there unarmed. And, and I guess he would have fought the gun from, <laughs> took the gun out of the hand of, of the uh, assailant. I mean, how could you say that 17 people were killed in this Parkland, Florida high school shooting? 17. And why would you say something so stupid and so asinine as that? And I'm pretty sure that his his handlers, uh, they didn't have anything to say after that, so they just let it go. This guy is totally unfit to be in office. He's been put, he was put in there by Russia. There's no doubt about it. Russia helped him get get this uh, get him into the White House, which he has totally destroyed. Him and his mafia buddies in the White House, they have totally destroyed the White House. Uh, and a lot of us Americans have t- that once looked up to the White House has lost so much respect in it because Trump and his thugs have actually ruined the White House. And it needs to be fumigated once this guy is gone. Once he is gone, his family is gone, his, his hood of thugs are gone uh, out of the White House because uh, he is a mafia don in the White House. It's like a, a a criminal empire. He's running from the White House. A lot of people are saying he's running his businesses from the White House. That could be true. That that could be probably true. And that's in violation of the Constitution. But, you know, Republicans in Congress, they will not, you know. This guy is supposed to, he took an oath to protect the United States. He didn't broke that oath. He, you know, uh, and the Republicans in Congress, they're just as criminal as he is because they, they Trump is a traitor, and he they're protect protecting a traitor, and that makes them traitorous. But anyway, uh, we have a uh, election coming up. I'm pretty sure the Republicans are trying to find a million ways how they can stop this blue wave, stop people from voting, suppress the vote, 
pretty sure they're thinking of a million ways to do this. But I don't care how many ways they have. They're going to lose. Uh, but one of the things we should be worried about, folks, uh, in the upcoming election in, the, in America, and that's Russia meddling, Russia involvement once again, because I'm hearing that they are going to be fooling around with the upcoming uh, elections, midterm elections. So that's one of the things we have to worry about. There's a lot of people out here saying that we should go back to paper ballots. That's a safe one. You know, paper ballot, that's a safe one. Um, I'm hoping that we do, you know, because anything that's um, computer related, I mean, it's, it's susceptible, susceptible to being hacked. Anything. So I'm all, I mean, if people want to go back, to, if states want to go back to paper ballots, I'm all for it. Go back to paper ballots, you know, because uh, because some of these of these officials from some of these U.S. United States intelligence agencies, they say that they are not sure if they can stop what may happen. And Donald Trump is not saying a goddamn thing about the cyber threat or, or Russia meddling in the 20, uh, 2018 elections. He's not saying a damn thing because he wants them to meddle because he knows that there's a blue wave coming and He's, his ass is going to be thrown the hell out, and his Republican friends are going to be thrown out, Republican thugs. So they don't want any – they don't want really um, – uh, uh, they don't want nothing to be done about Russia because they want Russia to help them get – to keep their jobs. This is something, folks. But I I don't think – I, I don't think even if Russia meddles, I'm pretty sure some of these uh, United States agencies, they're on top of this thing. They're on top of it. And uh, it's going to be, I mean, people are going to be voting in droves. So whether Russia meddles or not, Trump is out of there. The Republicans are out of there and they know it. And one person was saying something about telling me about a one-party system. This could be become a one-party system, and it could be democratic because the Republicans have shown their hand. I mean, they've shown what they're about. They've shown that they don't give a damn about America. They don't give a damn about the Constitution. They don't give a damn about what we think. They don't care about our well-being, of course. I mean, by cutting Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid and a whole lot of other entitlement programs, which Medicare, which Social Security is not, they don't care. They just know it's governmental funded and they want it stopped. And they don't care. Especially Paul Ryan. That weasel. <laughs> He's a weasel. I mean, this guy hates America so much, it, it, it's running down his nose. He hates it so much, you know. Trader Trump, he and his campaign conspired with Russia to undermine Hillary. Of course, it's been proven. Uh, so many people look, took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. They believe every nonsense bit of propaganda and lies about her and still believe uh, they are true. She is thoroughly, yeah, I mean, they just, Hillary Clinton, I mean, she's, I would think she's retired. She's 70 years old, probably. And I would think she's somewhere 
uh, retired, but they're still bringing her name up in just about everything there is, especially Donald Trump. If there's someone to blame about something, if there's someone to blame about something that, that they are not to blame about, Donald Trump will blame them just to try to throw us off the trail. And he can never, ever do that, throw us off any trail that he's trying to cover up. Because we know that Russia installed him inside of the White House. It was Russia that put him there. He knows it. He asked him to. If you go back and look at that videotape, he, Russia, if you're listening, yeah, that one, that one. And they were listening. And after, later, the White House said that it, he was joking. Trump wasn't joking. Trump never jokes. Look at that face. Look at that puss. Look, look, look at that face. Does that look like a face of a man who jokes? Trump is mean, nasty, vile, corrupt, uh, stupid, crazy, uh, liar, pathological liar, mean. Trump. And he has a face that's awful. He's mean. He's crude. <laughs> I mean, all of those adjectives. Uh, basically, basically to say that Trump does not joke. But, you know, the White House is going to lie for him, try to cover it up, try to clean it up. Uh, just like they're trying to clean up this latest goof. Uh, maybe he wasn't a goof. Maybe he would have ran. <laughs> ran in there unarmed while there's an active shooter and, and beat him, beat the shooter down and took the gun. You want to bet? That is so laughable. And he, Trump once says Russia's laughing their asses off. They're laughing their asses off now. I mean, the whole world is, not just Russia, but because that was very, very dumb and stupid and ignorant. And by him saying that America, the American people have lost more respect for him than ever before. And his poll numbers are in the gutter. But the Republicans and Donald Trump, they, doesn't, they don't care. They want to try and destroy America as we know it. They doesn't care. I mean, they, they just doesn't care. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Okay, we, here's a little bit more about that Parkland shooting. If we can do that, can we do that? Yesterday... In Parkland, Florida, a 19-year-old with a gun entered his former school and killed 17 innocent children and educators. Another day, another massacre of American children. The response was swift and sickeningly predictable. Thoughts and prayers and, of course, all of the other worthless platitudes that come from Republicans who aren't self-reflective enough to actually listen to the empty excuses that they spew. First thoughts and prayers. Both Donald Trump and Florida's Republican Senator Marco Rubio are filled with thoughts and prayers when innocent blood is spilled. Thoughts and prayers, but little else. But until a law gets written, voted on, and sent to the desk of the president for signature, all because of thoughts and prayers, you can save it. The ever-increasing number of dead children in America, as well as those who will soon assuredly be murdered in the next mass shooting due to the disgustingly lax gun laws, don't need your thoughts and prayers, Senator Rubio, Donald Trump, 
They need leadership. Yeah, because they, they need grown-ups to do their damn jobs. Disregard the millions of dollars in campaign contribution, blood money you've taken from the NRA, and do what you're elected to do. Look, we always hear the same common, repeated, and stupid lines like, if only there had been a good guy with a gun, this could have been avoided. And even, this is the price of freedom, like Bill O'Reilly said back in October, after almost 600 were killed or wounded in Las Vegas. Well, Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, and even Tommy Lahren, there was a good guy with the gun. The school had armed security on campus, and this guy was still able to enter a school filled with unsuspecting kids, wielding a weapon of war, and slaughter 17 of them. What do you say to someone who thinks that dead bodies of hundreds and hundreds of innocent children and mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, isn't too high a price to pay for freedom. Because let me fill you in. This only happens here. Australia is free, and so is Canada and Germany, France, Great Britain, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. And those nations... They're free, sometimes freer by several metrics than we are, and they don't have massacres like this on a, on a weekly, monthly, or even yearly basis. So do something, Congress. Do your job. Do your jobs, or we, the American people, will find candidates who will. We will find candidates who know that piles of dead American children is too steep a price to pay what you nuts think is freedom. All right. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. Okay. It says here, Jared Kushner's security clearance has been downgraded reports. Uh, he's not the only one. It, it's so much in the Trump White House that hasn't been... Um, um, I mean, it's so much coming out of the Trump White House and so much stuff in in the Trump White House that's just a debacle. It's a damn shame. Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner President Donald Trump's son-in-law and White House advisor, has had his security clearance downgraded, political reports. He's been downgraded from SCI access to secret level, according to the publication. Well, at any rate, it's not good. <laughs> General Kelly expects Jared uh, a, uh, a lot, and General... Oh, no, 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 no. It, it sounds like garbage here. Uh, Jared Kushner no longer received the president's daily brief, a top-secret round group roundup of global issues. Trump knows nothing about global issues. I mean, third grade yield kids know more about global issues than Trump does. Trump doesn't give a damn about global issues. He doesn't read. He doesn't read his daily briefings. He doesn't read anything. Uh, If he knows anything, it's fed to him. It's fed to him through his earlobes. He doesn't read anything. He's not going to read anything. He's just disgusting. And um, it's always something coming out of the uh, Trump White House, and it always will be something coming out of the White House. We may like it. We may not like it. Majority of the time, we don't like it. But Trump saying stuff like uh, people that ran, 
he said a lot of stupid, dumb, ignorant things, as we all know. But this is just takes the cake. I mean, you know, I, I really think he said it because he's trying to up his poll numbers. His poll numbers are in the uh, gutter and he's trying to up them. And he's also trying to get people to get Americans, try to persuade Americans that he's not as dumb as some of us say he is. A lot of us say he is. And so he he's going to try and say, hey, wow, I'm the leader. I'll take charge. I'll take charge. I'll go in there without a gun and I will apprehend this uh, shooter who just shot 17 people. As if he wouldn't get his ass blown away. <laughs> this guy is nuts. I mean, I was laughing. We were laughing for two or three, two or three days. Uh, just every time, every time he would come on television or I see him on the computer saying uh, what I would have done. And, you know, he, I don't ran in there unarmed. What? Crazy. I mean, and that was really wrong to say after 17 people were around. Even if he was joking, I don't think he was joking. I think he was for real uh, saying he would have ran in. I mean, a lot of people, you know, start getting on face social media where it didn't go down too well and start calling him bone spurs because he uh, avoided military uh, service in Vietnam five times because he said his feet hurt. He told him that his feet hurt. So, and now he's going to get brave at the age of 71 and run inside a school where there's an active shooter unarmed, all because he's trying to prove to America, or he wants to prove to America, that he's not a coward. But it did not go down well. People's People people knew he was lying. This was another big fat lie. But until we get all of these people out of the White House, and that's Trump's family, Trump's uh, inner circle, all his goons and thugs and creeps that are um, soiling the White House, making it a place of... of, of trash and garbage because we got these trashy people in there and who think that there's something. And um, and I don't know why they uh, people are always talking to Ivanka or uh, Melania Trump. These these two women are nothing. They they have nothing on Michelle as a first lady. They don't contribute nothing whatsoever to the betterment of the United States, except for photo ops, uh, being on camera, saying stuff, you know. Um, that's about it. But Michelle had something going, Michelle Obama had something going on in the United States. We know getting kids healthy, keep getting kids to exercise, getting kids to live long. These, these, Donald Trump women, Ivanka and Melania, they're they're about nothing. They're about nothing. Nothing whatsoever are they about. Looking pretty, uh, wearing expensive clothes, and that's it. Uh, talking to the media, being on camera. I mean, what person or woman attention? And they and 
are no exception. They like a lot of attention. Even if they're not saying anything, they're not contributing contributing to anything, they're not contributing to the fight or, or anything. You know, because, you know, their father and their husband is a piece of crap. We want him out of the White House. The White House belongs to the American people, not to Donald Trump and a lot of well, they just don't care. Donald Trump is he hired from my understanding Donald Trump just hired a uh, campaign manager for his 2020 re-election campaign and a lot of us are saying what the hell he's not going to be around that long <laughs> and if he luckily happens to be around that long he will not win uh 2020 is 2 years from now two and a half years from now he will not but he thinks he will. You know, he's he's the only person in the world who thinks he's great. And, <laughs> and that is totally, totally not true because Donald Trump is nowhere near great. He's the worst president ever. He's the worst human being ever. He's an, the worst asshole ever. And if you're listening, I'm pretty sure you agree with that assessment. But that that's nice. What I'm saying is nice. It's a lot of people out here, millions of people are here saying saying a lot of things that are a lot worse than what I just said. But anyway, we need a change. We do need a change. This guy is just so awful as president. And but but um don't worry, we're gonna get that change and it's coming.